The Literate Caveman, Episode 25, The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. Welcome to the Literate Caveman Podcast. This podcast offers reviews of excellent books that you may not be familiar with, with a focus on mindset for daily life. I'm your host, Chad Blake, and today we are going to have a brief discussion about one of my favorite series, The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. Now, Normally, I do not cover fiction books on my podcast, and this series is very well known. But I just listened to an audio version of this series, and we are in the Christmas season, so it seems like an appropriate way to wrap up the year. For today's episode, I am going to do my best not to give any spoilers for this series, so this will probably be a shorter episode. There are three reasons for this, the first being I despise spoilers. The second is when I listened to these books this time around, I did not take notes. And the third reason relates to the first. Namely, I know a lot of people who have read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but very few who have read the entire series. So today, I will overview some of my thoughts without giving too much away. And perhaps in a year or two, I will do a more thorough review of the entire series. For those who do not know, The Chronicles of Narnia are a fiction series written by C.S. Lewis. They are children's books, and I think I will address that first. Now, I have not read much in the way of children's books, at least over the last three or four decades, so I am not claiming to be an expert on that subject. But just paying attention to the general tone of society and thinking back to my own childhood and comparing that to some things I observe today, I do not think it is a stretch to suggest that the Chronicles of Narnia are quite different in tone and subject than popular books and television today. In one of his non-fiction books, I do not remember off the top of my head which one, Lewis relates how someone commented that some of the scenes in the books went into some detail about the meals the characters have, and the comment was something along the lines of he must have believed children were very interested in food. I think Lewis was surprised by this, as he enjoyed his meals and his coffee and his ale, and he says something along the lines of, he wrote those things because he enjoyed them. And when he was a child, it was the kind of thing he would have enjoyed. This gives us an important clue when reading anything, fiction or nonfiction. Authors write things they would like to read. My own writing efforts sprung directly from my frustrations as a reader. I felt like a lot of popular fiction was just regurgitating the same themes over and over again with a painful lack of imagination. So I set out to write books that I would enjoy. If you happen to be interested in looking into that, I published under C.R. Blake on Amazon. Now, Lewis fought in World War I and lived through World War II, so he grew up and lived through a much different era than most of us today. You can see this in the tone and subject of these books. His expectation of the attitude of a child was much different than the expectations in society at large seems to place on children today, at least in the United States. It is also worth remembering that Lewis was a university professor, and in some of his nonfiction texts, he expressed concern about the direction of education in England. This is not a heavy theme in the books, but it does emerge a few times particularly in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader and in The Silver Chair. 
I bring this up because I can see some of the story being a little shocking to some modern readers. However, on the other hand, I think people who are concerned about the direction of society and the future of younger generations will really enjoy these books and want to encourage people to read them, regardless of their age. Now, as far as the order of the books, people argue about this because the books were not published in a chronological order. The first book published was The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in 1950. What is now the first book in the series, The Magician's Nephew, was not published until 1955. According to my collected copy published by HarperCollins in 1982, although The Magician's Nephew was written several years after C.S. Lewis first began The Chronicles of Narnia, he wanted it to be read as the first book in the series. HarperCollins is happy to present these books in the order in which Professor Lewis preferred. End quote. I have heard some people claim that The Magician's Nephew was written last, after the other books were published, and thus feeling like the books should be read in that order. But looking at the publishing dates of the books, we see that The Magician's Nephew was actually published a year before the final book in the series, and reading them in a publishing order really would not make much sense. If we take them in a chronological order, I think we get a more cohesive narrative. Also, if you look at the publishing order, A Horse and His Boy, chronologically the third book in the series, was published in 1954, a year before The Magician's Nephew, and two years before The Last Battle. From my own experience writing, I can tell you that most of the time, when I get an idea for a story, the initial idea turns out to be in about the middle of the finished story. Sometimes, the initial idea is even towards the end of the story. I often get to writing and get to a point in the story where I need to figure out the beginning. I also believe that it is pretty normal for an author to write a story or a screenplay and publish it without fully developing the backstory. Sometimes this works out. Sometimes it does not go so smoothly. I think with the Narnia series, Lewis did a very fine job with The Magician's Nephew and tied it in nicely with the rest of the series. An example of a series where I do not feel this was executed very smoothly would be the Star Wars franchise, where a legions of fans had 30 years to theorize about the backstory and were stunned to discover that George Lucas's vision of Darth Vader's past was a whiny, petulant, lovesick adolescent. If you're from my generation and grew up a Star Wars fan, that will not require any further discussion. If you do not know what I am talking about, there are hours and hours and hours of pained Star Wars fans and discussions you can find online. Back to our subject, if you decide to read the Chronicles of Narnia, or read them again, my suggestion is to read them in chronological order, beginning with The Magician's Nephew. Now, I will touch on the Christianity aspect of the Chronicles of Narnia. A couple of years ago, I was listening to an audiobook from another well-known author who was discussing his experience reading as a child and how important public libraries had been to him. When he got to discussing Narnia, he said that while he liked the stories, when he first read them, he did not realize there was a Christian connection. When he did realize this, he says that he felt the Christian connection took away from the story and he did not like it. 
I do not remember his exact words, but it was along those lines. I have considered this a fair amount. I obviously really enjoy the Chronicles of Narnia, and the author I am discussing now is one who had a fairly significant impact on me, both as a reader and as an author. For me, the Christianity of the Chronicles of Narnia has always been rather obvious. As a Christian, it is one of the reasons I enjoy the books. One certainly does not have to be a Christian to enjoy the books, any more than one must be an atheist to enjoy a book written by a secular author. I have actually had a couple of pretty satisfying conversations with atheists about the Chronicles of Narnia. However, for anyone to not realize there is a Christian thread throughout these stories, I have two considerations. The first is I think that requires not understanding what Christianity is about. This is understandable as Christianity as a whole is far from being unified. There are so many denominations and various opinions and hardline stances within Christianity, I can only imagine what it would look like to an outsider. And I feel that quite a few people have negative experiences with Christianity, both from well-meaning Christians who may not have the best judgment, and from people who use religion to achieve ends that have nothing to do with the salvation of mankind. My second thought is that for anyone to read or listen to the Chronicles of Narnia and not understand the Christian thread, I think that would require not understanding who Christ is to a Christian. I will save a longer discussion of that for when I do a more thorough review, but as I said, I want to avoid spoilers as much as possible today. My final thought on that is that if you are a Christian and have difficulties connecting with your spirituality, or if you are not a Christian, or perhaps have walked away from Christ, give these books a try and see what you think. I am not suggesting you will discover any deep theological principles or get any answers to questions you may have. At the very least, I believe you will be entertained. But you might learn some things about the relationship a Christian is intended to have with Christ. I have said this a lot through many different mediums and conversations, but personally, I do not relate to a lot of modern Christians, and particularly a lot of modern Christian authors. I think that is part of my draw to C.S. Lewis. It is not just that I believe he was very intelligent and thoughtful. There is something about his tone that I relate to. That does not imply that I always agree with him. I do not. If I had an opportunity to have a conversation with him, I would have questions. Not so much about the Narnia series, but about some of his nonfiction. Regardless, he remains my favorite Christian author, and one whose tone I consistently appreciate. Now I will just give a very brief description of each book. I will discuss these in chronological order, the order I feel they should be read in, not in publishing order. Without giving too much away, I should probably also explain that the gaps in time between some of these stories is quite large. In a couple of cases, the time between stories is as short of, as a year. Between others, the time is not clearly defined, but it could be anywhere from several hundred to even thousands of years. If you have read them, it all makes sense. And if you have not, you will not have any issues keeping up with it, but I think knowing that at the outset can help a little. Every story involves children from England, who would have been within a generation or two of current day for C.S. Lewis, visiting the land of Narnia at one point or another in Narnia's history. 
in some of the books, the children from England are central to the story. In others, they are more secondary characters. The Magician's Nephew is the first book in the series. It shares the adventure of a couple of young English children who are the first human children to visit Narnia. It is a very entertaining book, and it ties in nicely with the rest of the series. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is the classic Narnia story, the first story published, and the one most people are familiar with. I have read that J.R.R. Tolkien, Lewis's friend and colleague, did not like the Narnia series because Lewis was mixing mythologies. Lewis reportedly felt that since all those different mythologies could exist together in his head, they could exist together in a story, and I agree with him. This is the story that is probably most obvious in its Christianity, although again, if you understand who Christ is to Christians, that runs like a current throughout the series. Lewis was not shy about his Christianity, and I think these books could almost be considered as a love letter to his faith. Next we have The Horse and His Boy. I think in balance, this is my favorite of the series, although I am not sure why. I think it is the one I have read the most. It tells the story of a young boy who meets a talking Narnia horse and details their adventures. There is quite a bit more to it than that, but again, I wish to avoid spoilers for today's episode. The next book is familiar to a lot of people, Prince Caspian. This is a story that takes place much later in the Narnian timeline, and moves the story along quite a bit. The story that follows, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, is the only story that closely follows one of the others, picking up with some of the Narnian characters from the previous book. The Voyage of the Dawn Treader is probably the longest book. It is much different adventure than the other stories. That leads us to The Silver Chair. The Silver Chair brings one of the English children from the Voyage of the Dawn Treader to Narnia with a new friend, and in some ways it may be the darkest of the stories. It is a good book, and I enjoy it, but I think it is the only one from this series that I have heard anyone describe as dark. You might not feel that way about it, but if you read it, I think you will understand why some people feel that way. Finally, we have The Last Battle. This is a very interesting book and it ties in with the rest of the stories to a satisfying conclusion. It was clearly written with the expectation that the reader will have been familiar with The Magician's Nephew, so if you take inferior advice and read The Magician's Nephew last instead of reading it first, you may be a little confused. Wrapping this discussion up, I'm going to talk about the three movies that were made fairly recently that were supposedly based on these books. From what I have read, the decision of what movies to make was based, at least in part, on how the books sold. Now, since we know the current order of reading from a timeline perspective is much different than the publishing schedule, we can see how the first three books published sold the most copies. I mentioned earlier that I know very few people who have read all seven books. And that is even with most of the people I talk to saying that they like the book or books they have read. I think a lot of people are not aware that there is more than one, since The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is a standalone story, and Prince Caspian can be read in a similar way, even though if you have read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Prince Caspian will make a great deal more sense. I can see how part of the decision to make the films they did 
may have had to do with the actors and concerns about them aging. Although I would point out that in the books, the characters age, it is part of the story. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe came out in 2005. It took them three years to get Prince Caspian out in 2008, and another two years to get The Voyage of the Dawn Treader out in 2010. Looking on Internet Movie Database, I see that the same creative team worked on all three films. This surprises me somewhat, because I feel like they did a nice job of sticking to the story in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, less so in Prince Caspian, and I really disliked their version of The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. I own a t-shirt that declares, Never judge a book by its movie, and I feel that is apt in this case. Now, I obviously like books, so I have a definite bias. I like movies too. I like movies too, but when a movie diverges quite far from the book it is based on, it drives me nuts. There are many things that get me, but what gets me the most is when a movie diverts from the tone of the book. I understand that people who make films are creative people. If they were not creative people, we would not have any movies. If all movies were made by accountants, maybe we would have a lot of films that make sense, but they probably would not be terribly entertaining. I also get annoyed when dialogue from books not only gets left out, but gets displaced by new dialogue that has little or nothing to do with the story. I am admittedly extremely particular about this, and my personal bias is very strong so I do not get bent out of shape when people disagree with me. In The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe, I feel like they did a nice job of sticking to the tone of the book, mostly. I could nitpick bits of it, but I have never felt the need to. Mostly, I feel like they fleshed the story out a little and essentially brought a great book to the big screen. Also, the soundtrack to that film is excellent. Now, with Prince Caspian, I feel like it got pretty far from the tone of the book. I'm trying hard not to lay spoilers down, but specifically, in the case of Peter, they had a great opportunity to give kids a fine example of a leader. Instead, they gave us a stereotype of a modern, petulant teenager. I was very disappointed in that, and it is a marked difference from the book. I don't know for certain, but I suspect what happens in cases like this is someone thinks the audience needs a character they can relate to. I have no idea if this comes from a producer, or from the writers, or the director, a combination of all three, or another source. I feel very strongly this can be overdone. Modern kids do not need heroes they can relate to. They need heroes to look up to. There is a place where having people we can relate to is healthy, but I feel like society has largely overcorrected in this area. Other than my main issue with the way Peter was handled in this film, if I remember correctly, they added a scene that had nothing to do with the book, and it did not add to the story. Overall, I did not like it, and this really frustrated me because I really wanted to like this film. Finally, we have The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. This got so far from the book, I do not even know why they bothered. It kept elements from the book and a basic outline, but they added a whole weird bit that had nothing at all to do with the book. It may be more fair to say that they chose to take one aspect of the book and develop it to make it more important than it was in the, in the story. In all honesty, it has been so long since I saw that film 
I only watched it once in the theater. So that would have been about 13 years ago now that I probably cannot be fair to the film. But I do remember I had recently read the book and I really wish they had just stuck to the story. It did not need anything added to it. If anything, it might have been better treated to be trimmed down a bit or have even to have been made into like a part one and part two. It is a pretty long story for a children's book. Finally, I'm going to talk about reading these to children or giving these to children to read, depending on your situation. I myself do not have children. If I ever do start a family, you can be certain I will have a children's library and these books will have pride of place on the bookshelf. My advice with children's books is to always read them yourself before you let a child have them, especially very young children. It is pretty shocking what can get published as a children's book, and you cannot just assume because the cover is colorful and it says it is for children that it contains subject matter appropriate for kids. These books were written in a different era, by a man who loved literature, and who lived through very different times than what we live in today. My instinct is that The Magician's Nephew, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and A Horse and His Boy, and possibly Prince Caspian, could be read to children perhaps 8 to 10 years of age. Keep in mind, I am guessing, and I suspect this could swing either way. I do not remember how old I was the first time I read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but I know I was too young. Not because it frightened me or anything, I just did not get it. I read at an advanced level at a young age. That does not mean I always connected to everything I read. It means I could pronounce the words in the text, more or less. My inclination is that these books could be read a few times before getting into the later books. That is just my instinct. Hopefully someday I will get a chance to discuss this with listeners and see what they think. One reason I suggest reading these to your kids is because I feel it would encourage conversations. More so than if you just give the books to your child or children and leave them to read on their own. It is possible that a child will ask questions about a book they have read or are reading, but if you read to them, you will be able to see their reactions to things and it will encourage conversations. Especially for Christians who want to have meaningful conversations with their children about their faith but are not sure how to go about it, I think this can be a good strategy. And I understand there are times when a parent needs a child to read quietly in a corner or in a room someplace and be nice and quiet. The operative word being quiet. There are books that are appropriate for that, and I am sure you know what they are. My point is that for engaging with your children and having some interesting conversations, I think the Chronicles of Narnia are a good fit. Now, if you have children, you might know that your kids will be better off reading on their own and ask questions if they want to. Everyone is a little different. But if your kids like being read to, these are good choices. I'll just emphasize, read them first, or at least read through them first, get a feel for them, and if they are a good match for your children and for yourself. All right, today's episode was fairly brief, but I hope it was interesting. The Chronicles of Narnia are remarkable books. For Christians, they provide a really solid series of stories that display faith in a fiction form. For anyone else, they are a good series written by a man who loved literature 
and combined an awful lot of what he loved into seven stories. This will be my final episode for the year 2023. Beginning in January, I will start posting my next series, which will be a review of Howard Gardner's Frames of Mind. I want to say we will be discussing cognition, but I do not think that is quite right. Gardner's research explores the idea that humans do not exclusively possess intelligence in a singular sense, but have different areas of intellect that can be developed or impaired. An easy example is one person might be a brilliant athlete but make horrible life choices. Another person might be a gifted musician but not be very good with language. This is a gross oversimplification, but hopefully it gets the idea across. I have been doing my pre-reading for that, and so far it is a very interesting, very well-written book. The first episode should get posted on January 5th, and I will be back on a regular once-a-week schedule after that. Thank you very much for listening to today's episode. I hope everyone has a Merry Christmas, a safe New Year, and I will see you in 2024.